It's wonderful to welcome you again, and I pray that you're doing well and staying healthy and that your business is doing good and all of those things that we pray about. But I also think about what it says in Third John, Beloved, I pray for you that you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. And that's why we take the time to do these videos. We want your soul to prosper during these times. They're unusual, but you can still grow and you can still learn and we can still be together in all of this as we apply these principles from the Word of God. We've been looking uh, not so much, as I've said before, at cults or religions or disproving anything. We've been looking at worldviews, the way that people look at the world, the way they look at life, the way they look at morality, the way they look at ethics. All of those kind of things are very, very important. And so uh, we've looked at seven or we're looking at seven worldviews that do threaten biblical Christianity. They're um, distinct from Christianity, and they also are destructive to Christianity, and we also believe to society in general. Have you ever been driving along the road and you see a car with a bumper sticker that says coexist, and it has all of the different symbols of different religions? Uh, this is called syncretism, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's the idea that you can blend all religions together and that you can take the good out of each one of them. And most of the people that believe in syncretism, they come from the idea that all religion is both good and flawed at the same time. And so what their goal is, let's just blend them all together like we're making a big stew and then we'll just pick out what is really good and then we'll have something. And uh, so Christianity, they believe, has some really good things to say but it's lacking some other things. And other religions, they have some good things but they may be lacking what Christianity could add to the stew. Or maybe it'd be um, easier to say something like this. When I was a kid, we used to go to Furr's Cafeteria. And we would go through the line there, and I can remember uh, barely being able to see over the top to see the food. But I got to choose what I wanted. I want some of that. No, I don't want that. I'll take some of that. And, of course, with limitations. But uh, some people want a cafeteria-style religion. They lay it all out and spread it all out, a little bit from Islam, a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from Buddhism, a little bit from Hinduism and all of that. And you take what you like out of each one of those, and then you've really got a more perfect religion uh, instead of just taking one with all of its flaws. Now, that uh, is something that sounds good, to uh, our modern age where we don't have any absolutes. Uh, back in the day, it used to be kind of fun when uh, they were first coming out with these ideas on college campuses that there are, there are no absolutes. And, you know, our answer to that uh, as know-it-all young college students was, oh, is that an absolute? And, uh, you know, they catch on to that after a while and those kind of answers don't really work. And they don't really convince anyone either. And uh, in this world where we don't really believe in anything that is absolute, well, this is something that is very palatable to them. We'll just be tolerant of all religions. And as we tolerate them, we'll also learn from each one of them because we find a little bit of good and we also find things that we need to reject and all of that. Now, have you noticed lately that in the media, it's interesting just about Every religion, even religions that blow up buildings, 
must be treated with respect and compassion. And we must not offend them. And we must give them viability in everything. But they don't hesitate to reject or mock biblical Christianity. I just find that strange. I've always found it strange that when people want to cuss, they use the name of God. They use the name of Jesus. You've never heard anybody ask Buddha to damn something, but they don't hesitate to use the name of our God. At the same time, have you ever heard anyone say that, well, the truth of it is, there's just one God? Well, of course, that gets our attention. We're theists, and we do believe that there's one true and living God. And then they have to mess it up because they say, well, some people call him Buddha, and some people call him God, some people call him Allah, and it's all the same thing, all the same. Well, that does cause us some problems because if you've ever done like I have and spoken to a Muslim, uh, we had a, a man at one church that I was at who, he wasn't a very good Muslim, but he was a Muslim. And his wife got saved. We baptized her and we baptized his son. All of a sudden, he got a little interested in our church. So he started coming and we would talk. And after every sermon, he would come up. His name was AJ. And he would come up. He was very nice and complimentary. And he would say, that's very similar to what we have in the Quran. I even made a deal with him one time. I said, AJ, if I can find you a Bible in a translation where you can read it, uh, easily, uh, would you read it? And if you find me a uh, an English version of the Quran, because it's supposed to be in Arabic, um, an interlinear or something like that, let's read and then we'll talk about it. Because I wasn't afraid of what he believed. I uh, thought he ought to be afraid of what I believe because the Word of God is truth, right? And so uh, we did that and we would dialogue a little bit and he would come and um, one time we even had him prepare a Lebanese meal for a missions banquet. And he heard uh, about our missionaries going to his people in Lebanon to share the gospel with them. It blew him away. He goes, why would your people go there to do that? And it was another opportunity to tell him about the love of Jesus Christ. There was one service, though, that I distinctly remember. We were standing in the back of the auditorium. And he came up and he started talking about the similarities. And I had the liberty from the Spirit of God to say, AJ, there's just one thing I need to ask you. Is Jesus God? And he said, no. Boy, the anger in his eyes. And he didn't come back. That was the distinction for him. Up until then, it was all about let's mingle, let's talk, let's dialogue, let's coexist, let's say. But Jesus is always the dividing line, right? There's a story in Acts chapter 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas go to a place called Lystra. Lystra is actually where Timothy is from. And while they are there, uh, Paul is preaching to them, and he heals a man who is lame. And this man that was lame from birth begins to walk and leap and all of those kind of things. And the people are very excited, and they start saying in their own language, the gods have visited us. And in that passage, they start calling Paul 
by the name of Hermes. That's the Greek messenger god. And they started calling Barnabas Zeus. That's kind of their uh, supreme commander of gods, I guess you would say. And uh, what did Paul and Barnabas do? Because you see, if the idea that we can all learn from each other and take the good from all religions, that would have been a great time for Paul to say, hey, let's sit down, let's share together, you know, your perspective, my perspective, and, you know, we'll just uh, learn from each other because we're all working for the same place and serving the same God just by different names. But he didn't do that. In fact, let me read to you what did happen in Acts chapter 14, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, saying, uh, out, uh, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things. Wow, that was pretty clear, wasn't it? To the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, and uh, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Now, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and uh, fruitful seasons, uh, filling our hearts with uh, food and gladness. And he goes on to uh, tell them that there is no common ground between what they are saying, what they are doing, and he ends up right after that being stoned and left for dead. See, that was controversial even then. But Paul was willing to draw lines, and he did that because later he writes to his protege, Timothy, who again was from Lystra, where all this happened. And he says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, let me ask you a question. If all religions are the same and they're all roads to one God, why would Paul make that distinction? Why would he put his life on the line? Why would he bother to do that? That would have been the perfect time to say we all just ought to hold hands, have a coke, get along, learn from each other, and present the coexist model there. But he didn't. And this is what Paul ultimately gave his life for. And when you want to know what somebody really believes, threaten them with death, and then you will find out. So syncretism, just as a definition, this is the blending of two or more distinct belief systems for the purpose of creating a new system. So this is the kind of stuff that appears with um, the intent of let's all just hold hands and get along. But actually, whenever you see these type of things, whenever you see two religions that appear to be equal, generally it is, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and say 100% of the time, it's because one wants to take dominance over the other one. One is on the way up and one is on the way down. And at uh, a certain point, one dominates another 
And everybody gets kind of ticked off over that. Then they get equal because the dominant one is going down and the one that was lower is going up. And it's only for a short period of time that they appear to be equal. Even in our country where we have always had freedom of religion, it was always understood if you go back and read the founding documents and if you go back and read the founders' commentaries on the original documents, whenever they spoke about religion, they were speaking about Christianity. Everybody is free to believe and practice whatever they wish. However, it was for a couple of hundred years, very clear that it was Christianity that was the framework for who we are, what we believe, and how we act. Now we're finding that um, everything's just kind of equal, and I think we're past that now to where we're even seeing that Christianity is being put down and persecuted to a degree that we're not finding in other religions. You can see why. Syncretism always does that. It's always with the purpose of destroying biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is far too dogmatic for most people, especially in this um, particular culture. So we're going to uh, think about how controversial that we are. Some people are afraid of being controversial. I don't think we ought to go out and set out to make people mad or make them upset or to try to start problems or anything. But with my friend who was uh, a Muslim, uh, there came a time to where we had to tell the truth. There came a time to where we have to look at things and look at them clearly. Allah is not the same as Yahweh. And uh, Buddha is not the same as Yahweh. There's only one God. So uh, let's see. We'll move on down here to point number one then. And um, when we uh, think about this cafeteria-style religion and, and all of those things that people want to say and kind of make it sound like we're all being nice and holding hands and being tolerant, think about the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 8. And Jesus answered to him, It is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So when people say that all gods are the same and all religions are the same, uh, it doesn't wash with the Bible. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, all of those kind of verses that you and I know about, uh, contradict the idea, which is point number one, that all religions are equal. Point number two in our study is this. They will say that many roads lead to God. And uh, you may take one road, I'm going to take another road, and we'll all just eventually end up in the same place, and we'll be there before God, and then we'll be amazed because the God that you thought you were serving and the God that I thought I was serving were actually one in the same. Isn't that wonderful? And we'll see that there are different aspects of God that different religions uh, might pick up on. But it was all the same. and It'll all be wonderful when everything ends and we all end up before the same God and uh, in the same heaven. But the Bible doesn't allow for that. That's the problem. And all other religions, maybe they allow for something like that, but the Bible certainly doesn't. And the Bible does not give us the idea that, you know, it's just one God and you find your way to God in your own way and, and we'll all just be happy. It also does not give us the idea that there's an element of truth in all. When the children of Israel left slavery 
to go into the promised land, God did not say, learn all you can from the Canaanites because there are some things that they know that you don't know and there are some things that they don't know that you know and it'll be just one big happy family. He didn't say anything like that at all. He was to... He told them they were to wipe out all of them and their religion and uh, have nothing at all to do with them. And so um, when we think about all of that, we are uh, concerned with Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Here, here's what we say. And there is salvation in no one else. Do we need to go any further? Well, we'll go ahead. For there is no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boy, that causes us some trouble. There are those people who might be willing to grant us a little bit of a reprieve. You may be ignorant. You may be backward. You, uh, you know, you're reading an ancient book and you are prescribing to ancient codes and we are different in this modern age, but we'll be nice and we will tolerate you until you say things like that. Until you say things like Paul did. Now that was a problem not only for us, but it's been a problem for people all throughout the ages. That's why true biblical Christianity has been so persecuted, and especially in the first century. They couldn't just go along to get along. They couldn't compromise that. When it all came down to who is Lord, who is the Savior, who is the Supreme overall, well, the early Christians were willing to lose their lives by saying that Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. They would reject this uh, in no uncertain terms, as we can see. Thirdly, notice that uh, if the above is true, now this is where we really need to understand something. And I don't think most of you or most Christians today get this. If the above is true, then evangelism and missions become evil now we think of it as good people going and telling people in another nation about jesus christ another culture but in this multicultural synchristic generation in which we live that is actually looked upon as evil what right do you have to go to someone else and tell them that your way is right what right do you have to go to someone else and try to get them to leave what they believe their native religions to believe what you believe how uh, evil can you possibly be? And so for the first time in American history, the idea of sharing your faith is not something that people would smile and nod at and say, boy, he really uh, believes that, doesn't he? That's admirable. Well, it's no longer looked at as even admirable. It's considered evil. What right do you have to impose your racist, colonial, ideas upon other people live and let live all religions are the same all gods are the same god don't go and try to convert someone else to what you believe well maybe we've been infected by a little bit of that and we don't even know it and we don't even understand it maybe that's why we don't witness maybe that's why we don't really pray for and support missions in the way that we should because maybe we have this idea that it'll all just work out in the end instead of taking Jesus seriously when he told us we were to go and share the gospel with every creature all over the world aren't we when there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved and our mission is to be an ambassador for Christ that means we are to tell them about the only way 
that they can get to heaven and the one true and living God. But boy, is that ever frowned on in this culture. In fact, it's more than frowned on by a lot of people. It is actually considered to be something evil. Just leave people alone. They all go to heaven in their own way. Who are you to try to change their mind? And uh, since they are all the same, then why should anybody become a Christian? And to evangelize or send missionaries is cruel, racist, and it is actually destructive. Have you ever heard anything like that? Well, maybe you haven't heard it said in those particular words, but you've seen it. And you've seen in the media, and you've seen and maybe in the classroom, this idea of, of uh, uh, you know, most wars, they will say, have been started in the name of religion. And they will talk about missionaries, and they will talk about all of the advancing of particularly Christianity as being something that has been undesirable. D. James Kennedy, before he died, he's the one who... Um, wrote Evangelism Explosion. He was a pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he was a man of God. He was a Calvinist, by the way. And uh, he wrote a book called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And in that, he documents how Christianity changed the world for the better. How many hospitals, how many schools, the advancement in knowledge, the advancement in science. In fact, when you go back to the uh, early scientists who really were groundbreaking, uh, they were almost all believers who looked at science as a way of getting to know the God who created all of us. Well, it's not that way now, is it? But um, it's a fascinating book. But now we find that on the college campuses particularly, and now in high school campuses, our children are being taught that the spread of Christianity was actually evil, and it was racist, and uh, it was non-compassionate, and uh, it was driven by colonialism and all of that, and all it did was destroy, and there's genocide and hurt and hatred and discrimination and slavery in its wake. And uh, that's being used to turn our own children against us and against the faith that we believe. We've got to counteract this by teaching our children and by knowing what we believe and standing up for the truth um, ourselves. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And preaching there is not so much the idea of a called, ordained uh, pastor. It's more the idea of all of us being like a town crier and spreading the news that has come from the king and proclaiming that truth everywhere we go in obedience to the Lord. You see where this is going? And then uh, the last point will uh, simply be this. This leads to a loss of influence. Unsalty salt. Where did I get that? You remember what Jesus said? If you have salt, what good is it if it loses its savor? How do you season the salt? How do you make the salt salty? And it's good for nothing but to be uh, thrown out and trampled under. And we're watching now as our society is throwing out biblical Christianity and trampling it under. Now, you and I don't do that. We cherish these things. But our culture is doing that. Why are they doing that? 
I think it's because 50 years ago, maybe longer, some of these principles of syncretism started to kind of creep in. Can we all just get along and let's be ecumenical, let's not be divisive, let's uh, hold hands, let's share together. Isn't it beautiful that we have all the diversity? And it was a long time ago that you started seeing the government not having just maybe a Christian pastor pray. We also had to have a rabbi and we also had to have someone from another faith and someone from another faith. And at first that seemed innocuous because we knew who was kind of, you know, in control, king of the hill is Christianity. But that's not the case anymore. And so we think about uh, the loss of influence that we have. Does anybody believe that Jesus is the only way? Well, they probably don't because I'm not sure that a lot of so-called Christians actually believe that. I read an article in a Baptist newspaper a few years ago that said that among Southern Baptist churches that they were noticing that there is a creeping universalism among our churches. That a lot of people that come and sing praises to Jesus and say amen to the scripture that in their heart when they're honest they don't really believe in heaven or hell and they don't believe that lost people are bound for hell and they really don't believe that the Bible is the revelation of God and that there's only one true living God and only one way to salvation. And what that means is we don't really believe the gospel. That makes me worry about having 17 million Southern Baptists and if a high percentage of them believe what I just said, that means a high percentage of people that go to our churches or identify with our churches have never believed the gospel. And you know what that means. I think we've already been clear on that. You see, we become unsalty. We have nothing really to offer. If our God is the same as all others, our salvation is just one way to get to God, then why should anybody listen to us? Why should anybody care? And why should we be motivated to witness to other people? And so there's this creeping universalism, disobedience to God, a watering down of the gospel, and this laissez-faire, who cares? Just leave it alone. It'll all work out. See, the devil will take you any way you want to go as long as you are not being an influence for Christ and as long as you're not sharing the true gospel for him. And so when we look at all of this, we realize that it's at this point that we are losing ground. Okay, Some people are panicking over that. I think it may be the best thing that ever happened to us. It might be the thing that wakes us up and causes us to actually study our own Bible, to actually attend our own churches, to actually speak up for what we believe, and to actually live in a way that is consistent with us. Because that's what's happened before when Christianity has been under attack. Rather than killing out Christianity, it made it stronger. It made it more distinct. Maybe this watered down, hold hands, everybody's great kind of stuff. Maybe it needs to go away in our churches. And maybe we need to stand up and feel the heat and at the same time show that we really believe what we say we believe. I hope I wasn't unclear on that. Because for us just to come and worship, the world doesn't care. But for us to spread the gospel, you're going to get some heat. From all of that. I'm going to get some heat from all of that. It's not palatable to this compromised, senseless, confused, and condemned world. So we've got to understand that we've got to stand strong and we've got to be distinct in order to be effective. And even though we may not 
be the dominant religion in this time, but uh, they weren't in the first century either. And look at the power that they had. So when we're con- uh, clear, distinct, and confident, then we have influence. Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Am- uh, Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, and they, were, uh, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay? Then Paul, as his custom was, and uh, came into them, and for three Sabbaths, three weeks, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Well, that's pretty confrontational. Now, notice he did it from their own scriptures. This is not something that has been hidden. This is something that is evident even in the Old Testament. Paul used that. So what, how did they respond? It says in verse 4, And some of them were persuaded. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Man, this is great. A lot of people get saved. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all of the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jacob, uh, Jason and... Uh, sought to bring them out into the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, saying, These who have turned the world upside down have come to us too. Can I ask you a question? It's that last phrase. When is the last time somebody ever accused Christians of turning the world upside down? When is the last time you've heard or seen anything like that? You know why? Because we're not near as bold. We're not near as confident. And we're not near as distinct. And we are allowing this to kind of go on. I'm not saying be in attack mode. I'm not saying anything like that. We do what we do out of love. And we use our influence for the glory of God. And uh, we are peaceful as we do it. And we are kind. Think about uh, how love is described. And we are to do these things in a loving manner. And uh, give a reason for the hope that uh, lies within us. And uh, we need to um, do this though. But not be shy. And not be just you know wishy-washy or unconcerned about any of that. We ought to care about our family, our friends, our neighbors. Who are going to die and go to hell without the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll end just by saying this. It's not always good when opposing viewpoints come together. In Luke chapter 23, it tells the story at the trial of Jesus. When Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. And it says in Herod with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, and then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Now here, listen to this. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with one another. 
You know, there's an old saying that says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's what Herod and Pilate did. Two different opposing type people, and yet they came together in their hatred for Jesus. And here's what I want to end with. This coexist thing is not going to end well because when other religions that oppose each other become friends, there's always one enemy, and it's Jesus and his followers. So we need to pray about this, and we also need to understand where we are on this, and let's be strong, and let's stand firm. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. May the Lord bless you, and thank you so much for taking time to tune into this. Uh, as you uh, continue giving, we pray that God will bless you in that. You can give online at our website, gracewayokc.org. You can also get a copy each week of our newsletter at that same thing. Just go up under the, the menu and look under events, and you'll see a thing for the newsletter. Be sure and pray for one another and minister to one another as you can. And let's also be committed to sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord gives us opportunity. Thank you. God bless you and have a great week.